This is the Clinical Pharmacology Podcast with Nathan Tusher, where I discuss clinical pharmacology and pharmacometrics topics from the perspective of drug development scientists. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. Today we're going to talk about differences and similarities between pharmacokinetic models and non-compartmental analysis. The differences between these two analysis techniques are a common source of confusion both for clinical pharmacologists, pharmacokineticists, and scientists with whom they collaborate like clinical scientists, statisticians, and medical writers. So let's start with a brief explanation of each analysis method and then I'll compare and contrast them. Non-compartmental analysis, or the common abbreviation NCA, describes a method of analyzing pharmacokinetic data. So this technique is one of the oldest and really technically simple methods to analyze concentration time data. The method essentially calculates parameters from the observed data using a series of mathematical relationships that are relatively simple and can be performed on a spreadsheet or even in a calculator. The words non-compartmental are a bit misleading because they literally mean an analysis without any compartments. Sometimes people describe NCA as being quote, model independent. But in truth, NCA assumes one compartment kinetics for some, but not all of the calculations. There are many parameters that can be calculated using NCA methods, but some of the most common ones that you may be familiar with are the maximum observed concentration, or Cmax, the time of Cmax, or Tmax, the terminal elimination rate constant and half-life, the volume of distribution, clearance, and the area under the curve, or AUC. Cmax and Tmax are observed values and are not really calculated. You simply pick the highest concentration as the Cmax and the time of that sample is Tmax. The AUC is calculated by using the full PK profile to calculate the area under the curve using one of the trapezoidal analysis methods. These parameters do not assume any compartmental model structure for the calculation, thus they truly are non-compartmental or model independent. However, other parameters require some assumptions. For example, the terminal elimination rate constant is calculated using the log linear regression of the terminal time points. This method assumes log linear decline in the terminal phase. This means that it assumes that drug levels decrease proportionally to the amount of drug remaining in the circulation. And the half-life is calculated as the natural log of 2 divided by the terminal elimination rate constant. This gives the time required for the concentration to fall by 50% during the terminal phase. Many assume this to be equivalent to the half-life of the drug. However, that's only true if the drug exhibits one compartment kinetics. If the drug shows multi-compartment kinetics or even nonlinear kinetics, the half-life calculated by the terminal elimination rate constant is really not representative of the true half-life of the drug for the entire dosing period. Parameters such as the volume of distribution also rely on the terminal elimination rate constant and thus are also dependent upon an assumption of one compartment kinetic model to make sense. So a scientist should really be careful when working with NCA parameters and making the assumption that they're model independent because in fact, some of those parameters, many of those parameters, really are not model independent. They assume a one compartment PK model. 
pharmacokinetic models analyze data differently. They leverage mathematical models to describe an observed set of data. For this discussion, I'll focus on individual PK models. There's another type of model called a population PK model, but population PK models, which I'll discuss in a future episode, are simply an extension of the individual PK models that I'll discuss here. The idea behind pharmacokinetic models is that you can use a mathematical expression to describe the observed concentration time data that you see. This is not different from other scientific disciplines like physics, which use mathematical representations for observed phenomenon. So let's consider something that I hope all of us have done. We've all played Angry Birds. In that game, you select a bird and then you put it in a slingshot. And then you pull back on the slingshot strap and you angle the strap with a goal of trying to get your bird to hit a specific target. The path that the bird follows depends on the angle of the strap, how far you pulled the strap back, the weight of the bird, gravity, and even wind speed. Using equations from physics class, you can predict the path that the bird will travel if you have all of the required information. PK models are much the same. They're a set of equations that describe the rise and fall of drug concentrations in the body over time. You need some information such as the dose amount, the route of administration, the mechanism for absorption, and the mechanism for clearance, as well as some observed data or measured concentrations over time. And then from the observed data and a predefined mathematical structure or model, you can calculate model parameters that best describe the concentration profile. The most common PK models are called mammalian compartmental models, or more simply, compartmental models. The parameters from these models include terms such as volume of distribution, clearance, absorption rate constant, and bioavailability. And the values estimated for parameters depend on both the observed data and the specific mathematical model that was selected by the analyst. So let's talk about the similarities and differences in these two analysis methods. Both methods can be used to describe the observed data. NCA describes the data by virtue of the calculated parameters, while PK models describe the data with a specific model and the best fit model parameters. So for NCA, you'll talk about the Cmax and AUC for a given profile. But for a PK model, you might discuss the absorption rate constant, the clearance, the volume of distribution. So this is a small but important distinction. The maximum, Cmax, and the total exposure AUC, are important values that have real clinical application. Health professionals can gather this information from patients to make decisions on how to treat individual patients. These values are readily available from an NCA, but they must be derived through simulation or calculation from most PK models. And ultimately, the exposure models from a PK, the exposure parameters from a PK model depend not only on the estimated model parameters, but the specific mathematical equation used. While the NCA parameters are not really encumbered by this added complication, so this is, in my opinion, why NCA parameters are so often found in drug labels and the literature outside of clinical pharmacology and pharmacometrics. The exposure parameters such as Cmax, AUC, CLAST, the concentration at the end of the dosing interval, 
they're more relatable to individual patients for treatment purposes than PK model parameters. But PK models have a distinct advantage when attempting to project what might happen under different conditions or at some time in the future. PK models can be used for simulations of what you might observe if you change something like giving a larger dose or maybe a different route of administration or maybe a different dissolution rate on your oral formulation. With NCA analysis, there's very few simulations or projections that can be done, and most often they can't answer really good questions. Yes, with NCA, you could say, what happens if we double the dose? But you can't say what happens if we have a, a oral dosage form with a much faster release rate. But with a PK model, you can use PK model parameters even the uncertainty in those PK model parameters, and we can select starting doses for initial studies in pediatric patients. We can define therapeutic drug monitoring programs, and we can even design elegant medical devices that can adjust doses for patients without any intervention at all. So I wanna give you an example from my own family. So my son was diagnosed as a type one diabetic when he was in college in his early 20s. Type 1 diabetes is a disease in which the body does not produce enough functional insulin to properly modulate glucose concentrations. So for my son, he was returning back to school after a Christmas holiday break, and he started having difficulty with his energy levels. Um, he was really thirsty. He was urinating more than usual, and then he started to lose his vision. Finally, a physician was able to diagnose the problem and see that his glucose levels were extremely high. So he was given a vial of insulin and some small syringes, and then he gave a, was given a rough algorithm and saying, here, inject yourself with insulin every day to keep your glucose levels down. And so he would regularly prick his finger, measure his glucose, uh, and then he would calculate how much insulin he needed to administer. And he would do this in the morning. He would do this before and after meals. He would do it in the evenings. And it really helped reduce a lot of the negative symptoms that he was experiencing. But he still had these relatively large swings in glucose levels based on his activity level, his food intake, and when he was administering insulin. And this was, was really hard for him. He was uh, uh, he's a Division I college athlete. He ran cross-country and track. And he had a hard time modulating his glucose to allow him to do the activities he wanted to um, at the same time, keeping his glucose levels down. So after he stabilized a little bit and he got his extremely high levels down with this manual insulin process, he spoke with an endocrinologist who um, recommended that he used continuous glucose monitoring device coupled with an insulin pump. Um, and that would help him modulate his glucose levels more effectively. So this is not a paid promotion, but, um, uh, I want to thank both companies who produce these great products because they have dramatically improved my son's quality of life after he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So my son now uses a Dexcom continuous glucose monitoring device and a tandem T-Slim insulin pump. So the Dexcom sensor detects the glucose that's in his body and it actually wirelessly communicates with the T-Slim pump and the T-Slim pump decides how much insulin to inject. So these assessments are done in real time and it 
assess, it gives a prediction of glucose levels for 30 minutes into the future. And then based on that prediction, it decides whether it needs to increase or it needs to decrease the amount of insulin that is being injected. And so this keeps patients in a normal range for glucose with very little intervention by the patient. So the patient doesn't have to have a degree or expertise in pharmacokinetics to operate the pump. But these PK models for insulin and a PD model for insulin glucose interactions have amazing applications. And in my opinion, I really believe this saved my son's life and has helped him live with type 1 diabetes. So thank you for letting me share this personal story. But this is exactly why I've dedicated my career to pharmacokinetics, because it's our expertise to help build these devices that can really change a patient's life. So NCA is primarily used for non-clinical data analysis and specifically toxicokinetic analysis. So this is analysis in toxicology studies to determine what are the exposure levels in animals um, where we're assessing the side effects before we get to the clinic. It is also used in phase one clinical trials where we can do rich sampling. Most of the time, NCA requires rich sampling, either by individual subject or across a group of subjects. So in phase one clinical trials um, and some non-clinical studies with large animals, um, the rich sampling is preferred from each individual subject. So maybe you're going to take 12 samples over 24 hours from one subject after a dose is administered. In the group of subjects approach, you might take two samples from six different subjects spread out over the 24 hours. So you still have 12 samples over 24 hours, uh, but it's not all 12 samples from the same subject. So for rich sampling, you have enough data, you calculate individual parameters from each subject. But if you do rich sampling across a group of subjects, you would then take a, a mean concentration profile at each time point, and then you calculate NCA parameters based on the mean profile. PK models can be used at any stage of development, um, but they're almost always used in clinical trials with sparse sampling. So sparse sampling is very few samples in each patient. These are mostly done in phase two and phase three patient studies where the patients or participants are not housed in a clinical unit for the duration of the clinical study. So what this allows is to take many fewer blood samples per subject than a rich sampling design and this is really critical when you're trying to assess exposure levels in patients who aren't willing or able to sit there for 12 to 24 hours and have multiple blood draws taken. So these PK models are usually population PK models, but the concept is basically the same. In addition, these PK models are almost always used when you need to project to new scenarios or situations needed in drug development. So the models allow you to ask what if questions and get responses through simulation. For example, you might have a question of what will exposures be in patients with severe renal impairment or what will exposure be in pediatric patients? These kinds of questions can be answered with PK models. Now, one method is not better than another in all situations. Both methods are useful. Both methods are valuable. NCA is usually much faster to perform. It's not as analyst dependent, 
but it has more limited utility for addressing development questions. PK models take much longer to create, can be heavily influenced by the analyst's expertise and preferences, but they have broader utility to address the what-if questions of the development team or regulators when those come up. All right, let's wrap up today's discussion about PK models and non-compartmental analysis. Both are analysis methods for concentration time data, and both can be used to describe the observed data, but in slightly different ways. PK models use a mathematical model to describe the data, while NCA calculates the characteristics of the observed data. PK models are very useful for simulations or answering those what-if questions for the development team. NCA really can't be used for simulations or most what-if questions, but NCA is much faster to execute and it's significantly less biased than modeling is. And so there's many opportunities where you need a fast, quick answer, you can use it. So there's a lot more to discuss about both of these methods in future podcasts, but I hope this gives you a basic overview of the two techniques so that you can use it in your development programs going forward. For more information, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me an email to nathan at tushersolutions.com or sign up for my newsletter at tushersolutions.com forward slash newsletter. The newsletter is a copy of the show notes sent to your email each time an episode is released. Also, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to the show. Thank you.